being that we are, we cry out to you from our souls and say, Lord, deepen me. Deepen me. Thank you, as you do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, at the end of this service, uh, Glenn and John will be in the back in the foyer. You can give them all your money at that time. I'm going to give them $100 right now. That's for at least two of those. Glenn, don't spend it on lunch. Uh, and the church is going to give you another 400 for that, so that'll come out of the missions fund. Isn't that fun? Sometimes I get to do things that are fun. Sometimes I don't. Today we're going to talk about soul worship. What does it mean? I talk with the elders about what's a soul? What is our soul? What exactly is that? It's this kind of fuzzy thing. We say, I worship him with my soul, and I go, what exactly am I worshiping with? What does that come into being? How do we understand this concept of, of soul or soul worship? And I conclude that soul worship is this. Never give up. Say that with me. Never give up. That's soul worship. Soul worship never gives up. Soul worship builds character. Soul worship goes for depth. It says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm going to continue to work hard. I'm going to do everything I can despite this sense that it's not going to work. See, we started off with this idea of worship. We talked about momentum and how it changes everything in life. And we looked at the football game. We said, these guys are losing. It's over. We watched it happen right after that in the Super Bowl. We said, it's over. It's over. But they said, we're not giving up. We're not giving up. And suddenly, it wasn't over at all. And that's the cry of God in our life. Don't give up. When are we supposed to give up? Never. Never. Don't. Get, even when you think it's over, it's often not over. <laughs> even when the fat lady sings, sometimes it's not over. We go, oh my goodness, what is God doing here? And he resurrects Jesus from the dead. We thought it was over. We thought it was finished. But the reality was it was just beginning. You see, that's soul worship. It's character worship. It's this deepening thing within us that you can't quite grab a hold of, but you know it's there. You know people that have soul, don't you? You know men and women that you just go, man, those guys have depths of soul in them. I look, I look around our, our church here and I see a, a number of these uh, different men that have touched my life. I've been here some 15 years now and they've all stuck around. And they at times, I guarantee you, Rich wanted to leave. And he didn't. And he said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not giving up. Pastor Lee, don't you give up. We said, okay. And Merv is in the back. He was talking to me and saying, Lee, don't you give up. I'm not giving up. I've been here since the beginning. I'm probably the only one here that was there in the beginning. <laughs> right, Merv? And he never gives up. That's a man with depth of soul. 
You see, you can only gain that depth by not giving up, by staying with it. The reason our churches are so shallow today, so many of our churches, not all of them, many of them are wonderful, but so many of them are shallow because we so easily give up. Oh, the music was too loud today. I'm going to go somewhere else. Really? Pastor, his sermon just didn't feed me today. I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't feed you today? I haven't fed my kids for a long time. How old are you? And you're leaving? The church that God brought you to because... Well, Pastor Lee's leaving now. He's retiring, moving on, so I think I'm going to too. Really? Really? You got no soul. You got no soul. If you want to have a soul... You have to choose to never, ever give up. Depth to our worship happens when we cry out from our souls and we begin to find ourselves not being concerned about who it is that leading us, but simply ecstatic that someone's willing to lead us. And we worship with music that's loud, and we worship with music that's soft. And we worship with the music that has incredible depth, and we worship with the music that's just kind of repetition. I go, really? You're going to sing that one more time? <laughs> Seriously? And the Lord says, shut up, Lee, and sing. Yes, Lord. And I shut up and I sing. And pretty soon I go, wow. Hmm. I guess there's some depth in that that I didn't recognize. Soul worship. It's worship with character. It's worship with depth. It's, it's about this transformation process that God develops into our life. And we develop soul brothers over long periods of time. So I have like Jack Tisthammer, who is a soul brother of mine. And that's because we've known each other for 30 plus years. And it takes that kind of time. It takes that kind of intensity because during that time we go through trials and difficulties. Times when I just don't like him. And he just doesn't like me. And he goes, I don't even like you. Why am I around you? And I go, I don't know. God put us together again and again. I look at my wife. She has these soul sisters. They're just so close. It's humbling for me because I just don't do very well with the whole thing. You know, I go, I'm pretty good with the church in terms of commitment. I always have been fully committed. But when it comes to relationships with people, I always struggle. Building those soul relationships is hard for me. Glenn Owen's a soul brother of mine, and we got really close, and, and we've kind of separated a little bit now recently over the last period of time. We just kind of haven't had the time together. And being a soul brother demands time and effort and working through the stuff, that's just the stuff we don't care about. That's where soul character comes into play. So Jesus says, you must worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And I go, oh, that's that. I will never give up worship. You see, our soul is an integration of heart and mind and will. All put together that makes up our being, or as the scripture, our psyche. The word for soul is suke, actually, in the Greek. And in the Hebrew, it's nefesh, which is both these pictures or ideas of an integration of heart, mind, will, everything pulled together that becomes who you are, who you personally are. 
And that character, that transformation keeps going. John Jerzak was talking about that at our meeting. He said, our, our, our soul continues to be built. It keeps growing as we get older and older. And I say, absolutely. That's the wonder of the soul. It, it gets more and more stable as, as we work involved in it. And so when I talk about the soul, I think there's at least three different aspects I'm going to walk with today. And there's so many more, but I think that the first thing when we talk about our soul is our soul identifies with the teaching of Christ. See, soul worship identifies with the teaching of Christ. And soul worship, um, well, well, we'll get into that in a minute. What about this soul thinking? In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a mountain. You glow in the night for everyone to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Put it on a stand. Let it shine for everyone to see. Soul worship. Identify with me. Be publicly proclaim Jesus is Lord in my home, in my neighborhood, on the golf course, at my workplace. Anytime I have a chance, I talk about, oh, how, what God has done in my life, what he's doing in my life. Some of you guys are undercover Christians. You need to squeak up. You need to speak and say, you know, I haven't shared much of this, but I have a relationship with Jesus and he changed my life. Randy was sharing this morning about a, a, a brother at work that finally is starting to step up and share the reality of Christ in his life and the fact that he is a Christian. And then other people started to go, what? You're a Christian? I still remember this funny story. I'm going to throw it at you, even though I shouldn't. I'm going to anyway. It was, it was a story about two Jewish brothers, and they came to each other, and he was sharing with his friend. He says, this horrible thing has happened to me. He said, what happened? He said, my son has become a Christian. He said, what? He says, yeah. He said, I came to tell you this. He said, why? He said, my son became a Christian too. He said, you're kidding me. No, let's go see the rabbi. So they run to the rabbi. Rabbi, rabbi, a horrible thing has happened. Our sons have become a Christian. The rabbi turns to him and says, I know. My son became a Christian too. He said, let's pray to God. Let's talk to him and ask him to help us in our time of need. So they begin to cry out to God, 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 we asked you to help us. Our sons have become a Christian. And the voice from heaven said, so did my son. We go, we start finding out all these people that are Christians we didn't know about. Undercover Christians who need to be uncovered, brought out into the open, share the truth, identify with Jesus. And there's a soul process there. This band of brothers begins to happen, and we identify one with another, and we're strengthened in that process. And God is honored and glorified when you publicly identify in your marriage with your family and your friends at the restaurant, the golf course, on your Facebook page. You can't say, I love Jesus and be ashamed of him at the same time. He said, if you're ashamed of my teaching, then I will be ashamed of you as well. And what he's trying to say is, if you want to develop soul character, if you want to learn how to worship God with your soul, then you have to speak concerning the truth of my teaching to those that are around you. And you say, hey, here I stand. Here I stand. And we grab a hold of the hand and we stand up. Everybody stand up. Grab a hold of the hand of the person next to you. 
Grab a hold. We're going to do something. We're gonna, today's going to be, we're going to get community today, all right? I'm going to pray, and you guys pray behind me. Think of this as like a wedding thing. Okay, we're doing the vows. Here we go. Okay, Jesus, we love you. And are committed to following your teaching. Deepen our souls. As we listen to you. Deepen our love. One for another. Amen. Now give a hug and sit down. Let let me tell you something, folks. When you decide that you will worship God with your soul, you'll begin to sing like this. Listen to this song. I love this song. Listen to the words that talk to us about, Lord, make it rain.
How you? Yeah. Make it rain. Now, Samantha's going to sing that for us next week. Same thing. Actually, I think she could do pretty good with that song. She let it work. Lord will deepen her soul a bit when she gets going in it. We begin to cry out to God when we want to have soul worship. And we say, Lord, make it rain. I don't want it to rain, but I need the rain. I need the rain. I need character. So make it rain. The next thing that happens to us, we start saying, Lord, I'm going to give up when? Never. Never. Once we start saying, the Lord says, okay, hey, let's see where you're really at. So this hard aspect comes into play, and we begin to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. He calls us, he says, remember my sacrifice. Not just my teachings, but my sacrifice. So in 2 Corinthians it says, do you remember? Do you remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all? He was rich beyond our telling, yet he became poor for your sake, so that by his offering... You could be made rich. Do you remember? He's not talking about money. He's talking about the wealth of life that he provides to us, that he gives to us on the cross. And we're going to share in the Lord's Supper here. And we're going to remember the wonder of his sacrifice. The amazing opportunity we have to respond to him with our souls. You see, these ordinances that God lays out of baptism and communion are soul ordinances. They change us. I remember the day when I was baptized. Everything changed inside of me. I remember coming up out of the water and going, thank you, God. And this powerful memory is stuck there. And I was in this cold tub in Germany. It was freezing. Guy dunked me in and brought me out. And I screamed out, thank you, God. And it began the process of deepening my soul. And then when I got to share in communion with my brothers and sisters, recognizing all that Jesus had done, how he pulled us together, that not only had we been baptized into his death, but now I could begin to remember what he had done for me and saving me from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the presence of hell, ensuring that I would join with him in heaven. And have a life here now. He paid for my future. As well as gave me direction and hope for my present. See, communion is given to us as the church, not as individuals. It was an opportunity for us to have this soul worship. And say, Lord God, we all together declare. That your life was given so we might have life. And we take of bread and we take of juice. And all that, we find ourselves going, you know, Lord... You change everything. And as we eat of that bread and drink of that blood, transformation begins to happen and our souls begin to deepen. And that's why Paul says, don't come down here and take this lightly because God has said, when you do this, something incredible will happen within you. Sometimes I take off my shoes. I go, you know, Lord, I'm walking on holy ground. I'm going to take off my shoes. So when I come to take communion, I go, I don't want to have any shoes on. I want to declare the fact that I want to walk with you in holiness and completeness, and I commit myself to you. And sometimes I'll walk up to the cross and find myself going, Oh, Father, I remember all that you did for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for giving life for me. And I think of how his hands were nailed and his feet 
And I say, thank you so much, God. Thank you. I commit myself to you and I walk away from the cross. And sometimes I just kneel at my seat and I just cry out to God and say, God, help me to understand what this is because I can't comprehend it. Why? What is man that you'd be mindful of him? And and what has taken place here? All these things we do. And so we all do it today. So let's all stand. You can either go right to the trade that said that Jesus took a bit of bread and he broke it. And he turned to the apostles and he said in the same way that you see this bread broken now, my body will be broken. It will be given for you. And so we remind ourselves of something supernatural that was about to take place because this was before Jesus gave his life. We go back to that time we remember for a moment. Lord Jesus, we see, we envision, and we recognize you as you sit there at that table and you hand out that bit of bread to us. We take it from you and we place it into our mouth. And we eat. Lord, we eat. In remembrance. In recognition. Of what you were about to do. And what now you've done. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. For granting us life. For renewing our souls. Changing everything. So we talk about that aspect of soul worship and never giving up. And as we begin to inspect the scriptures, we see Jesus telling us that we need to not just remember him and his teachings, but we need to consistently and regularly spend this time together. As often as you come together, it talks about the need for us to have communion together. That it is a, it's not for us individually, it's for us as a church that the Spirit of God falls upon us in marvelous waves and begins to pull us together and unites our spirits and our souls together so that I can meet with you and not even know you as I did with a couple of people this morning. And there was an instant, an instant awareness of our love for Jesus and our connection one to another. And that's what happens whether you're in Moldova or Costa Mesa or Arizona, wherever you're at, you have this marvelous recognition in your soul of this person that is next to you. And you cry out, God, grant us communion, not only with you, but one with another. You see, soul worship speaks up. It also sits together. And then probably the last thing, it really stands strong. Soul worship always stands strong. It's interesting the word that's, that's given here for communion is the word uh, koinoneo, koinoneo. And the word for community is koinonia. Koinoneo and koinonia. So what we find out is that when we begin to partner with God, we gain communion one with another. So we become one with each other in a community or a commune 
that happens as a result of God's presence and his power and his change that only he can bring within us. And it doesn't just happen outwardly. It just not how it's by a signature. It's an inward soul change. Uh, this last part of soul making, I say, it's something you do with your gut. So we talk about making a decision. Sometimes you've got to make a decision in your gut. Someone says, what does that mean? It's, it's this feeling that this is the right thing to do. It's, it's the right thing to say. It's the right action to take. You know it in your gut, in your heart, in your soul. See, this is soul-standing thing that starts taking place within us. And we go, this is interesting. And we respond to God's directive to us. He calls us, I want you to partner in my legacy. And so we worship by giving up to God. And we do it proportionally. He says, look, I don't want you just to give. I want to give to you and then you give out whatever I give to you. Do that proportionately. As I give to you, you give out. And so we start even in our financial giving with a little bit. Okay, So we start off, we don't have much. And so we start off with small amounts. And it seems really easy. And then as God blesses us more and more and more, and the proportion starts becoming larger and larger, and oddly enough, it starts getting harder. I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor, why is it harder? I've been a Christian longer. So I have far more. Why is it harder? I said, it's because you're self-centered. Just like me. I'm self-centered and the God of creation demands self-sacrifice. See, it's about gaining depth of soul and our flesh doesn't want it. He wants to deny that. And the cry begins, who am I going to align with, Jesus says, God or money? Who will you trust in, God or money? Who are you going to partner with, God or money? And we so worship together and there's this sense of community. I like the Philippians section where it starts off and he says, you became my partners in giving. And the phrase partners in giving is one Greek word and it's the word Koinoneo, or communion. Hmm. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. Don't forget to do good and to share with others. Share with others is one Greek word. It's the word, what do you think it is? Koinoneo. Right, that's what it is. 2 Corinthians 8, 4. It says... They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service with the Lord's people, koinoneo. And did not forget to do good and to share with others. For with these sacrifices, God is pleased, koinoneo. Be generous and willing to share, koinoneo. And God is saying, if you want to have soul worship, there's got to be a community contribution. That we become one as we as one give. And we become partners in our generosity. And the struggle becomes to say, hold it. We, no, stop giving. Stop it. We, we don't need any more. So that in our missions, and our ministries, we find ourselves going, boy, the Lord has so overwhelmed us with so much. We've got to figure out other ways to give. Other things to give towards. And God desperately wants to learn this generosity one with another. I was interesting. I was reading uh, Carl Menninger, who is the, the founder of the Menninger Clinics. 
And he was sharing and he said, he said one of the number one components of, of mental health is koinoneo or generosity. He said, in fact, we rarely find a generous person who is mentally ill. We rarely find a generous person who is mentally ill. Give and it will be given to you. It's the cry of God to us. He says, I don't need your, your money. I, I don't need any of the stuff you have. You need to give. For you to experience soul worship. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous in every occasion so that through your generosity, thanksgiving and glory will be given to God. And we draw close to one another. You can't love without Giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. My wife is so good with grandkids. Our, she's always doing this stuff. She always comes with all these neat things to give to our grandkids. And they're just so excited. They can't wait to get over to her house. You know why, don't you? They're always going to get something. Grandma's there and something's going to... Grandpa, yeah, good to see you, Grandpa. Grandma! I go, hold it. I'm paying for this stuff. They look at me like, sure, Grandpa. Grandma! This is just not fair. I see the videos. It's always, Grandma and Grandpa gave you this gift. Oh, isn't this nice? Thanks, Grandma! <laughs> What's that about? It's an attitude, you see. It's a recognition of soul worship, generosity, and giving to grandkids. She loves them so much. And they really don't care about the gifts. They just want to be with Grandma. They just want to be with Grandma. We literally, we funnel it out. You get, okay, this is your night. When's my night? Okay, this is your, we have to lay it out specifically. Nope, this is your night, this is your night, this is your night. Okay, great. Soul worship. Just as you excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in earnestness, see that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. How do you test the sincerity of your love? By what? Giving. Giving. I went, huh. You see, our church has a soul. Do you realize that this church has a soul? It does. See, all this gathered together, when we're all gathered together, there's a soul factor here. I can go to some churches and I go, no soul, man. Empty. Empty. I go to other churches and go, whoa, my goodness. Strong soul. Because it's each person gathered together, joining together, Experiencing the oneness that God has for you through soul worship. Cheerful giving, it's an act of worship that unites the church. Fearful giving is an act that divides the church. That's why when we tell you if you're visiting here, we really don't want you to give. People look at me like, what are you talking about? I, I really, it's not that I don't like you. I appreciate you coming. It's, so, it's great, wonderful. But we really don't want you to give because you might give fearfully instead of cheerfully. And we really don't want fearful giving. I'd, I'd much rather you keep it in your wallet. I'd much rather you didn't write out that check. 
You're going, oh, I got to, I'm in church. No, you don't. When you're able to do it cheerfully, out of your soul, then we rejoice in being part of that soul-making process in your life and in mine. And that's how we give. That's how we respond. Everything changes when we begin to worship with our soul, with our hearts, with our minds, with our emotions, with our will. And the soul gets stronger and more and more powerful. We find ourselves experiencing this wonder. And the biggest struggle, though, that I found in life is that as my soul gets stronger, I find more trials and tests tend to come my way. And that oftentimes the reason I've become stronger is so that God can allow me to get through the difficult things that are coming towards me that I had no idea uh, were coming. I had no idea. One of my favorite songs, that's the worship team to come up as we get ready to close here. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old song. And I don't like the song because of the music. The music to me is like, eh, it's okay. It's all right. I like the song because it's a soul song. It's a song that sings about the soul of the person who wrote it and how God has enveloped him and enabled him. And he finds himself worshiping in spite of the fact that all that this world would say he had is gone. 1871, this man's name was Horatio Spafford. He was a very, very wealthy person. He owned large amounts of uh, yeah. He owned large amounts of property, and there was a fire in Chicago. You've heard of the Great Chicago Fire. Well, that's when it took place, and all of his property was burned down, and he found himself penniless. And he began to cry out to God, "Why did this happen?" And then he began to respond to him and said, "That's okay, Lord. You do whatever you want to do." And in the process, God helped him to regain some of what he had. And two years later, he had enough, so he was sending his wife and his children off on a ship. They went off on a ship to uh, be off to England. They were going there to visit relatives and to be involved there. And as the ship left, he had no idea, but he would find himself colliding with another ship. And the ship sank. Uh, he heard about the tragedy, and he was finally sent a telegraph from his wife. And the telegraph said, saved, but alone. And he discovered that his four daughters had all died uh, in this horrendous accident. He immediately boarded a ship to head to England to grab a hold of his wife to care for her. And as he traveled along, he talked to the captain. He found out the exact spot where the ships had collided when his children were literally buried. And as he hit that spot, he wrote these series of verses uh, that God gave him. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. Thank you.